0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message you will hear more information on how to contact our church family as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. So we're talking about continuing with God's rescue plan. And so I'm really excited about this series. It's, it's a little different, these messages and how we're processing this because we're taking chunks of scripture and just walking through them to give us a context of really what was going on. Today, we're gonna we're gonna move through a lot and it's gonna be a lot of fun. And And because we're looking at some of the Some of the greats, you know, this book of Exodus is probably one of of the great great stories of the Bible. And so God is going to use it today, and I'm fully confident. But the reality is this, this God's rescue plan is this. All of us in the world need to be rescued by God. Everybody say amen to that. Everybody needs a rescue from God. And so you may be here this morning, and no matter what you're going through, you need to be rescued by God. Even after you're saved. There are moments that you're going to say, God, I need you to rescue me. That may be every day. That may be every week. That may be every month. I don't know how it is for you. But what I do know that God is the God of rescuing. And that's what he wants to do. And that's what he wants to reveal to us through his word today. And so here's the reality. Thank you. How many you love John? Isn't he great? He's, the man. He's a man. Thanks, bro. Thanks, bro. No matter where you're at, if you haven't given your life to Jesus today, I believe that at the end of this message, I believe God's going to grip your heart. I believe he's going, to, he's going to speak to you. He's going to challenge you with His love. And you're going to find out what I found out a long time ago, that when God reveals His love to you, when He shows you really how much He loves you and cares for you, it's what I like to call it is, His love is irresistible. And you're going to lean into it and you're going to say, why have I been fighting? Why have I been running? You're going to lean into this. And maybe if you've been saved for a while, I pray that by the end of this message, you're going to have a new appreciation for the protection and the redemption of God Almighty in our lives through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so I believe He's going to reveal Himself to us today. So we are on a journey through the book of Exodus. And so we have one more week after this. But let me set the, the background to this story, which I talked a little bit about it last week. But God's people, the people of Israel, are in slavery. Pharaoh the king, which was really seen, he was viewed as, as a God, has, has placed the Israelites in slavery. They've been in slavery for 400 years. They have been in chains. They are without freedom. They are controlled by the, Egypt, by the Egyptian slave masters. And, and now, here's the other side. Just because they are in slavery, just because they are in chains, just because life is not working out for them doesn't change the fact that they are God's people. It doesn't change the fact that God's hand is on them. doesn't change the fact that God sees them and hears them. Some of you here today are probably thinking, yeah, I I thought it was God's child, and so I started going through hard times. And then, God, where are you? Listen, no matter where you are today, The premise of this message is that God heard the cries of his people, and he responded. I guarantee he didn't respond in the timing that they wanted him to respond. Guarantee it. And so no matter what you're you're going through, you might say, Jason, I don't think God hears my prayers. And I can understand why you feel that way at times. You might say, I don't know if God really cares for me, because I asked him for something, and he didn't do it. But I want you to know this. God has heard every time you've prayed. You've never prayed to a dead ear. You've never prayed to a God that was off somewhere busy doing something else. He's heard every one of your prayers. He is committed to working into your life. He's committed to walking you through this life. And the reality is this. He's committed to helping you step into the next life in a place where you can live free from pain, free from tears, free from fear, free from anxiety, because this world is not our home. Everybody say, thank God. He's preparing us for a promised land, which we're going to hear more about next week. So. As we look at God's rescue plan, it began by using a man named Moses, which we looked at last week. And God rescued Moses from, as a baby from a time of, of genocide. And his sovereignty placed Moses in the house of Pharaoh. He was, he was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. He was an Israelite. God placed him in the house of Pharaoh. A, a Pharaoh's daughter raised Moses. Then when Pharaoh's daughter was trying to find someone to help, take care of Moses she went and found another woman the sovereignty of God that woman happened to be Moses's real mother and so that mother raised Moses in the house of Pharaoh she spoke over him what his destiny is what his identity was also Pharaoh or Moses was confronted with these other Egyptian gods he spoke Egyptian and probably spoke Hebrew as well and so he was confronted by these Egyptian gods, and, and he's, he, there he has his, his, his mother who's adopted him, and then he has his real mother who's telling him those aren't the, the, the real gods, that the God of the Hebrews is the one true God, and he was in this identity crisis. You ever felt like you were in an identity crisis? You ever felt like you, you live in a world that just no matter how you try to put it on, it just doesn't fit you? Moses felt the same way. That we, actually, Scripture says that we are in the world, but we are what? We are not of it. So things are going to feel uncomfortable for us at times, and so here you have Moses living in this world, and one day Moses, because of his identity, saw one of his his uh, his fellow Hebrews being. Beaten by a slave driver, he steps in, he overdoes it, he ends up killing the Egyptian slave driver. Then he ends up running for his life, and then he ends up in the middle of a desert. Then he ends up in the middle of an ordinary, normal place, and in the middle of the ordinary, normal place, a, a burning bush that wasn't being consumed begins to speak to him. And it's at this moment that he realizes this isn't a burning bush. This isn't something, of some bad mushrooms I found underneath the log somewhere. This is the God Almighty. This is the God that my mama told me about. And he has called me to do something. God tells Moses, return to Egypt. Confront the family that raised him. The house of Pharaoh. The most powerful man on the planet. You're going to go back and I want you to confront them. And I want you to tell the most powerful man of the world, Pharaoh, that the people that are making him rich, the slaves, that he is is slave driving, that he is is driving them to build his kingdom, I want you to tell him to let all of them go. And so Moses said, who, me? And God says, yes, you. You ever felt like that? You felt like God leading you to do something? You said, who, me? And God said, yes, you. Because God saw something in Moses that he didn't see in himself. Same way with you, God sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. The other side is this: God likes asking normal, rigid or normal, ordinary, original people to do something extraordinary. Why? Because he he just wants to he wants to stand back and say, "See, it's not about you anyway." And so this is what Moses does. So Moses returns to Egypt. So that's the journey we're on today. He returns to Egypt. Along his way, he stops by the Hebrews. He picks up his brother Aaron, and they proceed to the house of Pharaoh. It's at the house of Pharaoh that God begins to lay out? Actually, God tells them before they go there, what's going to happen when you get there? And so in Exodus chapter 7, let's begin to read this today. He says this, when you go and tell, and tell Pharaoh to let... Your people go. Let my people go. Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Well, gee, thanks, God. And though, though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. So this is th- what th- I don't understand. He's not going to listen to me. So why am I going to go and tell him? It's kind of like, it's kind of like this. Hey, go, and do, th- and, go and, and do something. And when you do it, nothing's going to happen. So why am I going to go do it? Don't worry. I'll tell you later. So Moses goes anyway. He says, I'm going to lay my hand on Egypt with the mighty acts of judgment. I'm going to bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. And this is... The premise of where we're stepping into today. So Moses goes to Pharaoh. And I'm just going to walk through this again. This is very informational today. But there's an application at the end that I believe will really bless your heart. And that's what I believe God wants to do. So he goes to Pharaoh. He stands in the house of Pharaoh. Imagine Pharaoh, or Moses walking back into Pharaoh's palace. Going back into, the, into this, this house that he left. The marble, the servants. The beautiful smells of fruits and fragrances and the beautiful garments. I mean, this dude just walked out of the wilderness. His hair's overgrown. Remember, he's been a shepherd. And what happens when you hang out with sheep is you smell like sheep. Maybe he stopped and took a shower along the way. I don't know. But he walks into the house. Pharaoh says, well, look, look, look what the cat drug in. This is my long-lost adopted son. And so I want to talk to you about Pharaoh's refusal to what God is asking him to do. So they go and they say, listen, Pharaoh, you need to let God's people go. Pharaoh says no. And Moses says, listen, God's going to do something. And then God begins to lay out nine plagues that are going to happen in Egypt, And I, I want us to look at them today. Another purpose of today's message is because the Word of God is powerful. You know, when we proclaim it, when we walk through it, it really speaks to us. There are topics that are great, but this is very good to look at the context of something. And so nine plagues. Now, there's the deal. These nine plagues, normally we see them in, in how they happen in the Prince of Egypt. Or how they happen in the the Ten Commandments once a year. We see them, it's like, okay, one day this plague happened, the next day this plague happened. No, think about this. This happened over a period of many scholars believe for about ten months. So almost a year, this is the beginning of the journey that we're starting on. So, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, not going to do it. Then the plague happens. The Bible says that God told Moses to go meet Pharaoh by the Nile River. He goes and meets him by the Nile River. He says, This is what's going to happen. I'm going to turn to Nile, the Nile to blood. So, okay, yeah, what does that mean? Well, that means every fish is going to die. Everything that's alive is going to die. Imagine this: the stench of a river filled with thick blood. Everyone say, ooh. That's gross. It's nasty. Where, where it would splash on the side, it would stick and stain and then coagulate on the edge of rocks and trees and the nastiness of it, the smell of it. They couldn't drink it anymore. Every fish was dead. They had to dig their own wells. They said they dug along the edges of the Nile to try to find some fresh water. Moses comes back to Pharaoh and says, now, you want to let God's people go? Pharaoh says, no. He stiffens his back, his neck. He says, no way. He says, okay then. Here's the next play. We're looking at frogs now. So how many would just love a frog? Yeah, I mean, I like frogs, okay, all right. Here's the deal about these frogs. They fill the Nile, and then the, the Scripture goes in to explain specifically frogs. And listen, Pharaoh, frogs are going to be in your houses. They're going to be in your palaces. Here's the, here's the kicker. They're going to be in your bed. How many would love to crawl into bed at night and cuddle up to a nice toad frog? They're going to be in your ovens. In other words, they're going to be everywhere. So this happens. Moses goes back to Pharaoh, says, hey, Pharaoh, how did you like that frog in a place you never thought you were going to have a frog? How'd you like that, Pharaoh? I mean, I imagine the uncomfortableness of, of you can't get them anywhere. It's like they're multiplying. It's like they, they're, you can't get away from the frogs. Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, Pharaoh had the opportunity to say okay but he didn't he said no he hardened himself again and he says no and then another plague then okay fine gnats are going to come so Aaron has a staff Moses brother Aaron takes a staff and he hits dust as the dust comes up poof, those that that dust turns to gnats. It multiplies. It begins going everywhere. And gnats are everywhere. They they are annoying. They're they're flying all over. You can't get rid of the gnats. Imagine the frustration. The Nile has turned to blood. Frogs are in your stinking bed. And now gnats are flying around your ear and you just can't get rid of them. Imagine that. You're 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 trying to eat food, and the gnats, you got to blow, and they eat it real quick, and then the gnat flies out anyway, and they're in your ears, and you poor babies, you're you're trying to cover them up, and babies, I mean, gnats are everywhere. Sounds like a good summer night, doesn't it? And then the next one, he goes back, says, Pharaoh, let God's people go. He says, no, I'm not going to do it. He says, okay, flies are coming. But flies just aren't coming. I'm telling you, flies are going to cover the walls of your home. Imagine that amount of flies. I mean, the bug zappers were on fire that night. They were exploding and zipping and zapping. Just kidding. They didn't have bug zappers, just so you know. They're like, where's that in the Bible? But anyway, flies are everywhere. They're crawling across your forehead. They're crawling across the edge of your, of your lip. You're trying to swat them. They're landing on your eye. You, you just can't, no matter what you do, they're all over you. They're crawling up your neck. They're crawling. You cannot get away from the flies. They're on your walls. They're covering your floors. As you walk, you hear them crunch and pop with your feet. And you're barefoot. <laughs> That's gross. That's gross. That's <laughs> gross. You can run, but you can't hide. They're everywhere. Moses goes back to Pharaoh and says, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, Moses. It's okay. The next plague, death of a livestock. All the Egyptian livestock die. The cow, no more mooing. The goats, the donkeys, no more hee-hawing. I don't know. The camels. The sheep, <laughs> everything is dead. And when, the, when everything settles and all of a sudden they, the Egyptians hear, oh, wait a minute, there's still some alive. And they go to find, they hear the, the, the cows mooing and the sheep baying. I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't do, I, my kids are older, I haven't, I don't know all the sounds anymore. The camels are still alive, everything's happening. They go over where the Israelites are and they're like, hey, your livestock's alive. Ours is all dead. Obviously, this God likes the Israelites. Then, Moses goes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no way, he hardens himself. Moses says, okay, boils are coming. Moses, in the presence of Pharaoh, takes a handful of ashes from the furnace. He throws it in the air as the ashes spread everywhere the ashes land Boils start happening on people's bodies. Guys, this is not a pleasant season. Not just boils. The Bible calls them festering boils. I'm talking about if you touch them, pus comes out. They're oozing. People's bodies are covered in them. They got to change their clothes three, four, five times a day. They are covered in boils. I don't mean to gross you out. I just want you to get the picture. Moses goes back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do it. He hardens himself. He says, okay. The next one is the hailstorm. And this is not like your hailstorm, my friends. Trust me. The worst hailstorm ever. It kills whatever is outside. Any living thing, the hail kills it. Their insurance claims were out Just, just, they were, they were just through the roof. I mean, this was bad. Same thing happens. Okay, you're not going to let my people go. Then the locusts come. So whatever is left alive that hasn't been killed, whatever is existing, locusts come on. And they fall on the nation like a blanket and they eat everything. So Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh still has swords, sores from the boils. He still has the residue of the flies on his feet. He's still waking up with nightmares about a frog jumping on his face. He's, I mean, the dude's troubled. He's twitching by now, you know. Moses says, Pharaoh, how about it? Let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And get out of my sight, and if I see you again, I'm going to kill you. Moses says, okay. The next plague is darkness. This wasn't an eclipse. This was total and absolute darkness. I, 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 want, you, I want us to read out of Exodus ten twenty three. what this darkness was. No one could see anyone. <laughs> what I love about this verse, and I'll show you in just a minute. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Now, this is the Egyptians. But when the Egyptians are hanging out and they can't see anything, they can't see their hand in front of their plate, face. Yet, all the Israelites had light in their places where they lived. This is hilarious. So they're like, darkness, light. Go back to the Egyptian darkness. Wait, how come they... Light. I mean, talk about a statement, huh? Darkness, light. This, this, was, this was amazing. Now, Nine times Pharaoh has resisted God. Nine times he says, no, I'm not going to do it. And it's the one more plague that I really want to look at. Before we get into that, I think it's something for you. Have you ever wondered why the frogs, why the gnats, why the Nile, why the, why, why the cows, why, why all of this? Have you ever wondered that? Here's the deal. Each one of the plagues was connected to one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. So here's God. He systematically discredits every God that they've been worshiping. Systematically. Over the 10 months, many scholars believe that the, the moment of the plague was the moment in which that particular God was supposed to be offering protection. And God was like, I'm going to embarrass that God. And he totally discredits all of their whole worship system. He flips it upside down to say this, I am the one true God. And here, here's the wonderful thing. We live in a world that tries to tell us that other things are God's all the time. Tries to get us to give our lives to certain things. Tries to give us to worship certain things. Hey, and here's the deal. Jesus did the same thing on the cross as what God did in the book of Exodus. He systematically discredits, the, Jesus systematically discredits the power of sin over your life. The reality that every person is born and their only destiny is hell unless they put their trust in God. He, he systematically deals with this. That's why Colossians 2.15 says this. Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle. of Who's the powers and authorities? Of Satan himself. He absolutely destroyed, pummeled, humiliated Satan. Why? By triumphing over in him on the cross. How many here is grateful that Jesus did that for us? It's so good. And now there is one more plague that is awaiting. And that is described in Exodus 11, 1. It says, Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. In other words, he will have enough and he will say, get out of my nation. And so here is the plague. Exodus 11. This is it. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says about midnight. I'm going to go through Egypt. Every firstborn son of Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt worse than there ever has been or ever will be again. This is the last plague. And what's very interesting, and even in 11.4, God continues in 11.9, that before we get into this last plague, I want you to hear this about Pharaoh. Exodus 11.9, the Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. This passage here has had a lot of discussion, theological discussion about how does God harden someone's heart. I thought man had a free will choice. So did Pharaoh not have a choice or did Pharaoh have a choice? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did did Pharaoh harden his own heart? And I know this creates a lot of issues sometimes, but any, any and this is how I, I'm, I, I'm describing this, talking about this today. Anytime someone turns from God and continues to go deeper and deeper into disobedience, something happens in their heart. Something positions against God. And their heart gets harder and harder as they continue to disobey God. It's like like people who work with their hands a lot. They the more you do something with your hands over and over and over and over again, your hands become callous. In the same way, like Pharaoh, it's possible to develop a calloused heart. This can be as simple as refusing to have a good attitude. I'm not going to have a good attitude. I have the right to have a bad attitude. Okay, your heart it doesn't become hardened overnight. But your heart becomes a little calloused. Or maybe you're being judgmental towards people. And you think, no, no, that's just the way it is. I don't care what, what, what anyone else says. Hang on. Your heart becomes a little hardened. Maybe it's gossiping. That you feel like it's okay for me to talk about somebody else because I'm right. Okay. But your heart will slowly become hardened or maybe when if you harbor unforgiveness in your heart and I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that your pain or whatever happened to you was is wrong what I'm saying is this there comes a point that as God begins to deal with the things in your heart and you don't respond to them out of obedience and you don't respond to them your heart becomes harder and harder and harder and we saw this in Pharaoh's heart and when God presses on your heart, we can do two things. We can, we can resist him or we can respond to him. That's a, that's a two response: We can resist God or we can respond to God. Now, this, this isn't people who are, who are not serving God. These are, this is people who are serving God. We can resist him or we can respond to him. And so how does all this work? This is how I like to see it. It's much like the same sun up in the sky... That melts butter hardens clay. So when God comes to you and and leans on you, presses on you, or or convicts you, or or wants you to, he's calling you to to, to something else and and you resist that, you you can choose to be softened by his light and his warmth and his love, or you can resist him and be calloused. So it's the condition of the heart which makes you to receive from what God the saying or to resist what god is saying and for me that's is my journey in my life to always stay open to the leading of the lord and i pray it's yours as well and it's really about our condition am i learning to respond to god when he speaks to me immediately i'm i know i'll make mistakes along the way and i promise you you will too But the danger comes when we're no longer teachable. And in the church, this runs pretty deep. We are unteachable sometimes. We think our emotions are right because we feel them. We think our attitude is right because we have it. And so so to stay there, I'm I'm not going to, I'm This is the way it should be. This is the way it always should be. If anything changes, I'm going to have a bad attitude. I'm going to have a bad attitude because I have a right to have a bad attitude. And people become hardened of heart. My desire is to allow people to speak into my life when they see any of this stuff. I have people strategically in my life that say, Jason, what's going on here? Why are you acting that way? The lesson here is that To be learned from Pharaoh's heart is that our hearts can be hardened too. That's why Hebrews 3.8 says this. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't do that. Don't resist him. Respond to him. Now I want to step into in closing this last plague that we're walking through. This, this This whole idea that God lays out the requirements on how to respond to this plague. And we're going to read it in just a moment. The Lord was going to move throughout Egypt. He was going to remove the firstborn son of everything, um, everything in the nation. Unless they followed his instructions. So I want to talk to you about the Passover requirements. God says, this is exactly the way I want you to do it. God is the God of details, you know. He laid things out. He wants you to do certain things a certain way. He sets out specific requirements for them to walk in and to to participate. Same way in our lives, God lays out specific requirements for us in our journey as we follow Jesus. God lays out specific things that we at times need to call sin. When the world says it's not. He lays out specific things in the word of God that sometimes just because I don't like it doesn't mean I shouldn't obey it. We live in a world that, yeah, but I don't like that. That just doesn't fit my culture. Well, it fits God's culture. So you need to choose. Do you want to worship human culture or worship God's culture? And God lays out the specifics of all of this. Let's begin reading in in, uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord says to Moses and Aaron... Actually, because as he lays out the instructions, this month is going to be for you the first month and the first month of your year. I don't know. What what do you mean? What do you mean by this? I thought they're already already in a a system of time, a system of of months, a system of calendars. Well, obviously, this is what God's saying. After this moment, this is no small thing that I'm about to do for you, Israelites. I'm just not going to set you free from slavery. I'm going to do something that's going to give you an entire new future, an entire new life. This is going to mark you for the rest of your life. This is our idea of salvation. Same thing. This is going to mark you for the rest of your life. Then he goes into the details. Exodus 12, 5-13. The animal, <clears throat> he was telling to them about a Passover lamb and what, how they're supposed to respond to this lamb. Are you guys with me today? Yes. All right, just, just say yes. Come on. Yes. All right, good, good, good. I know we're going through a lot. This is kind of fun. Actually, it's a lot of fun, not kind of. You know what I mean. twelve: so the animals you choose must be a year old. Talking about a lamb. year old male without defect. I want, you, I want you to remember all these things that this Passover lamb has to be. Details without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. You can take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. It's important. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lamb. That next night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water but roast it over a fire with the head, the legs, internal organs. Do not leave any of it till the morning. You might be thinking, what in the world are we reading at church this morning? This matters. If someone is left till morning, you must burn it. Or if some is left, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked in your belt and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. In other words, you need to be ready to go. You need to be ready to rock and roll. Now, I want to turn and look at really how this pertains to us today. What could a story of 3,000 years ago say to me in my situation today and your situation today? God was pointing to something in the future. He was not only dealing with saving the Israelites. At this moment, He was dealing with saving all of us in the world. Because this gives us a greater understanding of why did the, why did John the Baptist, John, John the Baptist in the New Testament, the first time he saw Jesus, what did he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now remember, this is a culture that grew up every year doing this, the Passover Lamb. Every year they would do this. Every year they would remember this. Every year they would reenact this. And so I want you to see how this passage, what does Exodus have to do with what Jesus did for me? And we're going to walk through in just a moment. But as as they were supposed to do all of this and they were supposed to, to apply all these all these different aspects and these different things to their to their life, and, and they're to put blood on the doorposts, and they're, they're to take hiss up and use it and, and mark it. And, and because there was the Lord was going to move through Egypt, he was going to bring great wailing, great pain. Every people were going to lose their firstborn son. I mean, this was a big deal. So, I want you to see how this passage points to Jesus. And you have some things on your note there. And I just want to walk through the Passover lamb and Jesus, the parallels to the New Testament. For one, the lamb, as we just read, was supposed to be without defect couldn't have any defect to it now when we look to the new testament first peter talks about jesus it was christ he was a lamb without blemish or defect he was a perfect lamb is there anyone else is there anyone in this room is perfect is there anyone in this has there been any person on the planet that ever lived a perfect life no never actually one his name was jesus he was perfect. He had no character defect. And the Lord Jesus fulfilled this prophecy because he was perfect. Number two, it says that the lamb was to be slaughtered at twilight. Verse 6, Jesus in Mark 15, when evening was approaching, when evening, it was twilight. When evening was approaching, Christ died. He fulfilled this aspect of the Passover lamb. Number three, the lamb was to be shed, or the blood was to be shed of the lamb. John nineteen thirty four says, at that moment, at twilight, when Christ died, they pierced him with a spear, and blood and water was flowed and shed. That twilight, Jesus was that lamb. Number four, the the blood was to be applied to the doorpost of their homes and their houses. Jesus. Paul says in Romans 3.25, Jesus was the atonement, the salvation, so that through faith we could be saved through his blood being applied to our lives. What's the lesson here? The blood of Jesus was shed on a cross, but it has no impact on your life or my life until we allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives. That till we allow, till we make the decision to apply forgiveness to the area of our lives. We did, we, did, we did nothing for the forgiveness, but our job is to accept and receive the forgiveness. Number five, the lamb, the Passover lamb. No bones of the lamb were to be broken. John 19, talking about Jesus, there was not one of his bones that was broken. Which was it was customary when they would crucify Someone that at twilight, they would break their legs so that they would die quicker. When they came to break their legs, according to Scripture, Jesus had already died. Very interesting. So, no bones were broken. Number six, out of Exodus, the Passover lamb, those redeemed by the blood of the lamb were God's possession. They belonged to God's for Jesus, out of 1 Corinthians, says this. Paul says this. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And my friends, that price was the blood of Jesus Christ. You no longer belong to you. You belong to God. And this whole idea, number seven. They said, when you, when you eat this, you need to have your sandals on, have your cloak tucked in, your, tucked in your, your garment. In other words, get ready to run. So you need to eat it with your traveling clothes on. What is, what's this, how does it pertain to what Jesus has for your life? Out of Second Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone. In other words, you are leaving your old life and beginning to walk in a brand new life. You say, "What well, the book of Exodus doesn't have, have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with you. Because this was God pointing to the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the earth, for all of humanity. And we are set free once we come into a relationship with God. God laid out what they were to do, and every year they are to remember this. Every year, year after year after year, they were pointing to the Lamb of God that was coming. They did this year after year after year. God's rescue plan for the Israelites was a Lamb. God's rescue plan for all of humanity was the Lamb. And his name is Jesus. And the last one is this. How did the people respond? And this is our question today. How do we respond? Exodus 12, 21 through 24. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select an animal for your families. Slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. Dip it in the blood basin and put some of it on the top and both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door in his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame. Very interesting you see here, you see here that God sees the blood. And he'll pass over. That's why it's called the Passover. He will pass over the doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and to strike you down. Obey these instructions as lasting ordinance for you and for your descendants. The people of Israel responded by faith. They They had to trust what God had said to them. And they had to obey what God had said. And because of their obedience, they were delivered, they were set free, their whole lives were changed. And the reality is this, my friends, you don't hear this a whole lot, but it's important. There is a day of judgment that's coming. There's a day of judgment that Scripture is clear about for all of humanity. And I know we live in a day and age where there isn't black and there isn't white and, and, well, it's kind of gray. And listen, I'd love to stand here and tell you that God's love, regardless of whether you accept it or not, will cover you and will forgive you. I'd love to, to write a book that just says, hey, you know, love wins. Everything's okay. Don't worry about it. But the reality is it's hard to see that in Scripture. That just like the Israelites, their response to obey God Was the key that unlocked his protection over their home? What if they hadn't put it on the doorposts of their homes? Scripture tells us they would have died. They had to do the act of their will. God, I receive the sacrifice that you've given. For me, God, I receive that though I've never gone this way before, I've never killed a lamb, this is the first thing I've ever heard about it. I've never killed it and wiped its blood. I, that, that's really gross. That does, I don't understand all of that. But I'm going to do it. Why God? Because there's something in me that knows this is the right thing. Something in me that knows that unless I apply this blood to my life, I, 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 I and judgment's coming. I know I'm not, I'm not going to be able to pass judgment. I need someone or something to take my place so I can pass judgment. And that someone or that something was Jesus Christ who gave us life for you. He gave us life for us. Jesus is the Passover lamb and there never needs to be another Passover lamb ever sacrificed on the face of the planet it's it's just, it's, it's nothing Jesus is the only, the last blood that was ever needed to be shed for the forgiveness of sins and the day that God would pass over us and accept us into his own family and I'm sure there are doubt in these homes of this Passover night they would never done this before. Can you imagine the the mama who sat next to her firstborn son? Oh, man. Can you imagine the son saying, Dad, so are you sure this is going to work? Because I'm firstborn, you know. Can you imagine the anxiety and the anxiousness that they felt? Probably they didn't sleep real well that night. But they woke up the next morning. You know what they thought? I could have got a better night's sleep if I just would have chilled out a bit. I didn't have to doubt God's faithfulness. I didn't have to doubt that this is the reality. I, I, I didn't have to doubt all of that. I'd be willing to bet this is much like all of our journeys. I've known people who have walked with the Lord their whole life and they get, they get, they, they, they get, they're scared that somehow they lost their salvation. They're scared that that somehow they blew it. They're scared that that somehow, you know, well, maybe it didn't take. And they spend their, their whole life biting their fingernails. I just, just got to get saved. I just got to make sure I'm saved. And God's wanting to set you free so you can walk into your promised land. You're saved. That door's been closed. That, 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 that angel's passed over your house. You are free. And where are those who are free and are walking in Christ Jesus? They are free indeed. That's the life God wants you to live. There, there's so many believers that live with a sense of, but I, but I sinned. Does that mean I'm not saved? Listen to me. Look at me. You are saved if you have the blood of Jesus on your heart, not if you live a perfect life. That's, that's a good amen right there. And out of you embracing and accepting, Reality that while I was still a sinner Jesus gave his life for me as you focus on what he's delivered you from if you focus on on that he changed your nature these these, these areas of sin that you, you continue to go back to, that's not who you are you're returning to the shadows of your old self that's not you you're a new creation and he It's going to accept you into his family based on his sacrifice and based on your faith to accept it and to believe it. Jesus is our Passover lamb. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.